Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Anybody got a little bit of anxiety? Just a little bit? A little bit. All right. All right. Me too. Me too. There's a couple times this week where I was like, my goodness, this is scary. It didn't help that I watched Contagion and Outbreak two nights in a row. So I've watched them. Uh, It doesn't help, guys. Feel free to skip those. Uh, We're continuing our series, When Jesus Asks. We won't get to the question Jesus asked until the very end of the sermon. But in our text for today, I decided to go ahead and just walk through the text and ask the question, what could this text, John 6, what could it have for us today uh, as the people of God who are in the situation that we are in? Because I think there's times where we can focus on things that may or may not help us, and what is really important in this time, no matter what happens, is that we see Jesus. It's how we see Jesus, and then we keep our connection with Jesus, and we know Jesus, and we believe in Jesus, and we trust him. In our text for today, I'm going to summarize just a few verses, and then Becky's going to come up and read the majority of it. Uh, We start off in verse 2, where Jesus says, or Jesus has a crowd that's following him. And this crowd, uh, it's a huge crowd, and they follow him because he is doing signs and healing the sick. That's an encouragement right there. Jesus is healing the sick. Uh, But then what we see is this crowd follows him, and they're hungry. And you might have heard this story before. There's a crowd of at least 5,000 men that are following Jesus. And his disciples come and say, uh, we need to feed these people. And Jesus asks them, well, how are we going to do it? And they say, well, we don't have any resources. We don't have the money. We don't know what to do. We don't have a plan. But one person says, there's five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, that's all we need. And miraculously, Jesus expands the the loaves and the fish and feeds 5,000 men, the text says, which probably means 15,000 total people. But it's interesting what happens after that in verse 14. If you can go to verse 14. After this huge miracle that has happened, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's interesting that he does this miracle. He has the power to heal the sick. He has the power to provide. And you think they get it. You think they see him. But the truth is they don't. They just see his power. They don't see him. Well, another miracle happens after that. The disciples go and they cross the water on a boat and a great storm comes, a wind comes, and they're terrified. And Jesus comes out to them on the water. He walks on water and he says, it is I, do not fear. There's another encouragement for us there. And immediately he stops the storm and brings the disciples to safety. And what we really see in this first part of the text is Jesus' power to heal disease Jesus' power to provide for people who are in need with no plan and no strategy and no resources. And then Jesus' power and authority over nature. And those things should all greatly encourage us. But it's funny, they're really not the point of the chapter. 
The point of the chapter is not Jesus' power or if Jesus will provide, but do you see Jesus? I'm going to pray, and then Becky's going to come up and read verses 24 through 69 in John chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would clarify for us who you are today, that we would have a deeper faith and deeper belief in you. We pray that we would trust that you will protect and provide, Lord Jesus, but in all that, we would see you. We would believe in you. We would know you. We would relate to you. We would abide in you. We pray for a deep encouragement for our church today. And all God's people said, amen. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm part of a cohort of pastors called the City Church Project. And these other pastors have become some of my closest friends. Some of them have popped into the service at different times. But one of them is uh, Winston Miller, who preaches occasionally here. And just great guys. And it's been fun to meet with them and strategize with them and support one another. But uh, a couple weeks ago, we all went out to dinner together. In fact, someone, uh, a donor to the City Church Project, had said, we want to pay for this little group of pastors to go out to dinner and just enjoy each other and have a good meal together. So the, the six of us and our wives, we all went out to dinner together and had a great time together. It was awesome because I didn't pay for it. And it wasn't like they sent us to McDonald's. They sent us to this Brazilian steakhouse together. And it was awesome just to sit around this table and really enjoy being together. But I don't know if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse. Uh, it's awesome. And the thing I love about Brazilian steakhouses is you get a little token like this. And you don't necessarily order one dish. They just send waiters out into the room holding different meat dishes. And you can have anyone you want. All you have to do is have this little token on your table. And if you want something, you're ready for more meat. You put orange side up, and all it says is, yes, please. If you need a moment to let the food digest, you just flip it over, and it says, no, thank you. And, and the people with all the different kinds of steaks and meats will look at the chip and say, okay, I'll come back later. But it, it was awesome just to be able to flip the chip, and then some of the best food in South Florida just shows up on your plate. I loved it. And as much as uh, I was trying to be polite, and I was, there was like a moment there where I had the chip on orange saying, yes, please, and there was nothing on my plate. And like five minutes went by, and I thought, where, where is this? Uh, my, my, my chip is orange. And in that moment, I just, I lost perspective for just a little bit, for just a, for just a second. I wasn't rude to anybody or anything like that, but I had forgotten the fact that I had not paid for this meal, that I did not deserve to be there, that I could not have afforded to pay for this meal, 
and that someone, was by, by their grace, was bringing me food. In that moment, I had lost a little bit of perspective. I had lost a little bit of, uh, of perspective on the situation because all I saw was the fact that my chip was orange and my plate was empty. I had done what I was supposed to do, but I was so focused just for that moment that my plate was empty that I was unaware of the situation that I was in. I had lost perspective on the graciousness that someone had paid for us to go out to eat. I was thinking only about my needs. I, I couldn't see the situation clearly. I had lost a little bit of perspective, and then I remembered, no, this is by someone else's grace that I'm here. This is a, this is a blessing. This is about the one who has given to us, and I'm just great, grateful to be able to be with my friends and get a little bit of good food. You know, the situation that we're in is serious. I don't think we need to panic, but it is serious with this global pandemic, and we need to pray, and we need to cry out, and we need to ask for wisdom, and we need to ask God for relief, and we need to trust that he is in control, which he is. And while this situation is obviously more intense than me going out to dinner at a Brazilian steakhouse with friends, I think there could be a tendency for us to lose a little bit of perspective in this situation. I think there could be a tendency for us to lose a little bit of our vision and sight and not see Jesus clearly. Sometimes, I think, even in hard situations, we can say, Jesus, change my situation, and forget that Jesus might want to change us in the midst of our situation. We can say, Jesus, get me out of this. When Jesus might want to get more of him into us. We can say, Jesus, give us hope. Not realizing that maybe he already has and we've just lost perspective on it. So often we can say, Jesus, here's what we need you to do. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now you do what you're supposed to do. And we lose perspective on who Jesus is. We lose perspective on the hope that we have in him already, and we don't see Jesus clearly. In the story that we're in today, what's interesting is many, many people are following Jesus. There is a massive crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands of of people following him, and they see what he can do for them, but the question is, do they see him? Do they see him? In the beginning of our story, it says that they were following him because they saw the signs. And if you remember from earlier in our study in John, signs are miracles that have a purpose. They're miracles that don't point to the power. They point to the power of the person. And the question for this massive crowd that's following Jesus is, do they just see Jesus' power or do they see him? Do they see who he is? Now, the amazing thing about Jesus is he heals the sick. He uses his power to cure diseases. Jesus provides for people who are hungry. This massive crowd is following him. They have no resources. They have no plan. Their bellies are empty. And Jesus miraculously provides food for them. And then when his disciples are crossing the lake, Jesus uses his massive power to to walk on water, calm the storm and tell his disciples, do not fear. 
Here is Jesus with power over disease, power to provide, power over nature, and says, do not fear. Be encouraged by that. That's who Jesus is. He sees our situation. He cares. He's able to do something about it. But the question is not just, does Jesus see us? Because he does. The question in this situation is, do you see him? Do you see him? And the truth about the people in the story, though he provided for them, though he used his power on their behalf, they didn't see him. They just saw someone who could fix their problems. After Jesus provides miraculously by by, uh, multiplying the loaves and the fish, they see that he's a prophet and they want to make him king. And you think at first, well, they get it. He has massive power, but until you realize that they want to make him king for their purpose. In other words, they want to make him king over Israel because they see his power and they think that he can lead an uprising against Rome, their oppressor. They see that he has power to fix their problems, but they never stop to ask, what is his purpose? What is his agenda? They are following Jesus as long as Jesus fits into their agenda, as long as Jesus will fix their problems. Like we said over the last couple weeks, they see Jesus as a genie that they can rub the lamp and get their three wishes. Jesus uses his power on their behalf, but they respond to that by saying, give me, give me, I want, I'm ready. We've done what we're supposed to do. Now provide for us on our terms. And Jesus withdraws. He doesn't want them to make him king because his king is not an earthly kingdom. His kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly one. And maybe there's an application for us there as we think about even this moment. There's there's an application for us there as we think about wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, uh, Jesus calls us to advance his kingdom, to advance his righteousness and his love and his peace because we are his people. But the people in the story just see Jesus as someone who can fix their problems. They don't really see him. Not only that, they see Jesus as someone who can put something in their hands without seeing him. Verse 26, this massive crowd of people follows Jesus, and you think, wow, that would be amazing if so many people were following Jesus. But the crowd confronts Jesus, and Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're not looking for me, you're looking for what I can do for you. You're not looking for me to shape your life, you're looking for what I can put in your hand. Yes, I filled your empty stomachs. Yes, I provided for you. Yes, I can use my power to care for you. But you don't see me, you only see what I can do for you. Verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Now, these people were expending effort to follow Jesus. It wasn't like they were lazy. They were actually working hard and keeping up with Jesus, crossing land and sea to be with him. But here's the thing. They didn't really want him. They wanted what he could do for him. 
In other words, they saw all the signs, but they didn't see the significance of the signs. And Jesus says, you're working, but you're not working for the right thing. You're not working for me, nor do you see what I actually want to give you. I know what you want from me, but what about what I want to give to you? You want something that's going to crumble and fade. You want something that's going to perish, but I want to give you something that's eternal, something that will not fade, something that will not crumble and perish. I already gave you bread that will spoil, but I want to give you bread that will never spoil. I want to fill you for eternity. That's what I want to give to you. Well, the people say in verse 28 and 29, what can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. In other words, how do we do what you do, Jesus, in order to get our needs met? How do we have your power? What do we need to do to get what we want from God? What do we need to do to get what we want from God? That's not the way God works. God works by grace and mercy. They miss the fact that Jesus had just said he wants to give them something. And instead they have to say, what can we do for God to get what we want from God? They've missed the fact that Jesus has just said, I want to give you something. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. How many of you during this last week have bargained with God? Like, God, if I pray enough or if I, if I help my neighbor enough, you will protect my home, right? There's no guarantee of any of our protection. We don't know what's going to happen. But we do know this. We do know that God doesn't work on a works-based system. We cannot bargain with him. And so what Jesus calls us to is not many works to please God and get him on our side, but rather one work. Not earning, not using, but believing. Believing in the one that God has sent. In other words, what we're called to do, the main thing in our life, is to see Jesus and believe. To see Jesus and believe him with eyes of faith. Jesus tells the crowd that God doesn't work based on works, but the most important thing is to believe in the one that he has sent. And the crowd says to him, well, give us a sign. Show us your power. He just did. He just did. He just fed the 5,000. He's been healing and performing miracles. But that's not enough for them. They say Moses in the desert, he provided bread from heaven, this thing called manna, six days a week for 40 years. And Jesus, you just did it once. And Jesus corrects him and said, it wasn't Moses. It was my father in heaven who provided manna, who sent the bread from heaven. But I have something more for you than just bread. That will spoil. Verse 33 through 35. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. 
I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. The one thing we can be clear on is what Jesus wants to give us. He wants to give us a lasting bread for eternity. But, but it's not some bread that's magical. It is him. It is him that he wants to give us. We want so many things from Jesus, and we ask the question, do you see me, Jesus? But what Jesus wants to see is the great gift that he is to us. It's not just about power to fix our problems or what we can get out of his hands to fix our situation. Jesus is saying, do you see me? The one who can give life to your soul. The one who can renew your spirit. The one who can fill that empty void in your heart. It's even amazing. I mean, there's so many analogies we can think of with all the virus going around. I mean, in one sense, we are a world that has been quarantined from God because of our sin. And yet Jesus comes in, not wearing any hazmat suit, because he himself cannot get infected by sin. He can only heal. He can only pass off, uh, pass off his righteousness and holiness in healing to us. Anything he touches gets better. Anything he breathes on is cleansed. Anyone who believes in him does not die, but has life. And no matter how sick you are with sin, he will never cast you out. He will never quarantine you from him. Look what he says in verse 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Now, I know some of you are going, what does this have to do with the coronavirus again? Uh, we're all feeling the anxiety. We're all feeling the pressure of this. It would be a great tragedy if you got sick with the coronavirus. But would it be a worse tragedy if you saw what you needed from Jesus but missed this opportunity to believe in him more deeply? The question is not whether he sees you in the midst of your anxiety. It's not whether he sees you as you wrestle with, do, you, do I have enough supplies? It's, the, the issue is not whether he knows that you're frustrated and tired and scared and wondered if you washed your hands enough this week. The question is, do you see him? He sees you. But do you see him? Do you see Jesus, the, the bread of life? who has come into this world to heal sin-sick people. See, Jesus never promises to fix all our problems. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Anybody got some trouble this week? Jesus has made no commitment to us to give us everything we want. He promises to give us what he thinks we need, but he never makes a promise to give us everything he wants. But what he does promise is... He will never abandon or forsake you. He will never cast you out. No matter what problems you face, no matter what darkness is in our country or in our world, he will never abandon you. And he's utterly committed to you throughout this entire life and in the life to come. What struck me as I read this text was the one thing that Jesus said over 
and over and over. In fact, four times Jesus uses this phrase. And I thought, if he says the same thing four times, it must be important. If you can put the next slide up. Four times, and it's there for you in bold, Jesus says, I will raise them up on the last day. For those who believe, when I return at the end of time, I will resurrect them from the dead and give them new life in resurrected bodies, and they will live with me for eternity. Why does he say it four times? Because he wants us to get it. Because he's committed to it. Because he means it. As the world is staring down a deadly virus, your greatest comfort is not this. It's not, I hope I don't get it. That's not your greatest comfort. Your greatest comfort is that even if you do get it and your life is over, your life ends, in Jesus Christ, that's not the end. In Jesus Christ, there is a day coming when the dead will be resurrected unto life eternity where there is no sickness, there is no sin, and death reigns no more. I pray you don't get it. I really do. We've prayed for you this week. But here's a harsh reality. I worked in the medical field for about five years, and I hated giving people bad news. And I found that the best way to do it was not to have small talk conversation, but just to say, I have something hard to tell you, and then tell them. Every one of you will die someday. Every one of you. No one, as, the, as the great singer Jim Morrison from The Door said, no one here gets out alive unless you know Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and is the life and is the one who promises to raise us on the last day. What's your plan after this life? You might know what you're going to do the rest of the week and how you're going to protect yourself, but what are you going to do when they lay your body in the tomb? Lots of people have opinions on what happens after they die, but let me tell you this, your opinions don't matter. Something happens to us all. And who are you going to trust? Who's going to be your authority on death? I don't know anyone who has been there and been back except the one who has died and then conquered death. Jesus Christ, who has defeated death, risen from the grave, and then was seen by 500 witnesses at once. And he's the one who tells us, I will raise them on the last day. So New City, you can say with boldness, my only true comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things... Sickness and health, tragedy and blessing, all things work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of life eternal. and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on, in this moment, to live for him. Do you see him? Do you see his great power? to fix your greatest problem, 
the grave. His great gift to us is life for eternity. His great gift to us is that one day he will raise us up on the last day. And that should give you perspective right now. That should help you see more clearly. That should help you analyze, am I just going, Jesus, give me this? Or do I clearly see what he's doing? Do I clearly see the bigger picture? I'm not always asking what about I need him to put in my hands, but I'm resting in the fact that I'm always in his hands. Whether I'm living or whether I'm dying, Jesus has me. Verse 53 through verse 55. I won't read it, but Jesus says this weird saying almost about his flesh and his blood and and feasting on him and eating and drinking his body and blood. Uh, What he's getting at is your greatest need is what I can do for you in the life eternal. I can do for you beyond the grave. But to get there, you have to understand that you need me to pay for your sins. You need me to die on your behalf so that you might live. But through believing in me and resting in my shed blood for you, you go from spiritual famine to spiritual feast. Do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? I mean, here while leaders of the world are quarantining themselves off from people, Jesus goes into a sin-sick world and dies on behalf of the people. And Jesus says, come to me, feast on me. Verse 56 and verse 57, he challenges us and says, here's your strategy. This is your number one strategy. Walk with him. Remain in him. Abide in him. Believe in him. See him above all else. He never runs out of supplies for you. There's always love. There's always forgiveness. There is always power. Though outwardly you are wasting away, inwardly you will be renewed day by day. This teaching is hard. It's challenging to think that Jesus might not fix all our problems, and yet somehow he still deeply cares and still deeply has us in his grip. But the challenge of that teaching is what causes many to abandon him. Many people see his power but don't see him. Many people ask, what can he put in my hand but don't rest in his hands? And many people leave. Their chip is orange but their plate is empty. And after the many leave, Jesus looks at his disciples and says this. uh, Jesus, Jesus says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Peter says this in verse 68. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one who can, you're the only one who who can meet our deepest need. Our greatest problem is life into eternity, but you're the one who says in you we can be safe, not just in this life, but for all time to come. Do you see him? Do you believe him? Do you know him? Can you live for him today? 
One of the greatest privileges you have in this moment of chaos is that you know Jesus Christ. And while this week does not feel secure, you are secure for eternity. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3. We studied this in life group. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow I will reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's greatest privilege wasn't the things that Jesus can put in his hands. It wasn't Jesus fixing his problems. It was being held in Jesus' hands. It was knowing Jesus Christ, seeing Jesus Christ, and knowing that him, the likes of him, would reach the resurrection of the dead because Jesus promised it. From A.D. 249 to A.D. 262, 1,800 years ago, there was a pandemic and a plague that swept through the Roman Empire. And in in Rome itself, it was estimated that as much as 5,000 people died per day. The mood of the culture was that as soon as someone got sick, they were abandoned. Not just quarantined, but abandoned in the streets. Except by the Christians. They were abandoned by everyone else except the Christians. Everyone was thinking about self-preservation, but the Christians were thinking about self-sacrifice. Everyone was concerned about their own needs, but the Christians were concerned about the needs of others. In a very radical way, they risked their own lives, and many of them became sick, but died happy. Because they knew where they were going. Because they died in the hands of Jesus. A hundred years later, the emperor was named Julian. And he had seen how radical the, the Christians were in their love. And so he tried to replicate these social programs built on what he saw the Christians doing. And he couldn't do it. The people weren't that radical. They weren't that self-giving. They were focused on self-preservation. And the reason is... They might have had a little hope in life, but they did not have any hope in death. What is your only hope in life and in death? It is that you are not your own, but you belong to Jesus Christ, the one who has defeated sin and death, and who says, on the last day, I will raise you and you and you and anyone else who believes and knows me. And the knowledge of that gave these Christians that lived thousands of years ago Hope in the midst of tragedy. They saw a great tragedy as an opportunity because they saw Jesus. They believed in him. They knew it wasn't about what they could get out of his hands, but being secure in his. Use precautions this week. Don't do anything that would spread the disease. I want to be clear in saying that. But live as people who see Jesus. And believe Jesus and know that whether it is in this life or the next, you are secure in Jesus. That will help you see the needs of others. That will help you go from panic to peace, from self-preservation to self-sacrifice. But you must go 
to seeing and believing who he is. He is your hope in life and in death. Be cautious, be careful, but see him and believe. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.